Hello, and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? You know, I was just thinking about this. Part of the reasons why we have switched to doing some of these more topic-based shorter episodes is so that uh-huh. we can do bulk recording. Yeah. So it feels very weird to answer how I've been doing when I just did that 30 minutes ago. So what I'm, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to do instead is ask what I should have said last episode and how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, center myself because... Because we had a good laugh there. I had this. We were about to get started, and I had this yawn. Uh, most <laughs> likely, you'll be hearing that in the intake. Um, I'm doing well. You know mm-hmm. what? I, I'm doing well. It <laughs> it was kind of rough um, today. We had our first like I, I'm a teacher, and we haven't had our in service yet as of this recording. But we had a optional meeting virtually to to kind of be able to field questions to our administration about the return to school. Mm-hmm. And that was a good, man, hour and a half, you know? And so that there in a weird way is what I needed, like to mentally, okay, it's time to get started. Yeah. It's time to go back to work. Um, until then, you know, I'd do some work, um, but I was still in kind of like, uh, I can wait a couple of more days before I really kick it in. But that mm-hmm. that kind of helped my mental um my mindset changed to where I'm, I'm, I'm rocking and rolling now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, it feels like as a country, we're at this inflection point where a lot of people are returning, whether right or wrong, are returning to a semblance of normalcy with routines. Right. And for having gone so long without that, it's, it's kind of this, this jolt back to reality in a way. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like I'm used to, you know, ending school into May, early June, uh, teaching summer school three weeks of June, basically for my routine, taking July off and then gets last week of July, kind of starting to slowly get back into it. But August 1st, I'm full go, mm-hmm. um, which this year, having not been to my classroom since middle of March, it's been really weird like I'm ready to get back, but I'm not because of the COVID stuff yeah. and there's some uncertainty and yeah. And so it, it's, it's been a weird summerish spring break, extended break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, as we've said last week, we are transitioning into doing some more of these topic based episodes. Uh, you know, things will kind of sprinkle in between the, the deep dives that we do with stuff like Daredevil or some of the even main Marvel movies. But for this episode in particular, we're going to be looking at NBC's show Community and the influence that it's had on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, this should not be a big surprise to those of us, those of us, those that have been listening to us, because uh, we've referenced Community a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Trey has seen it at least twice through, maybe. Yes, is that yeah. right? Okay, and I've which and it's saying, a I've only seen it once through right now at this point. Mm-hmm. Which I was going to say, you know how bad I am about watching stuff. It's a rarity for me to make it through a series altogether. The fact that I've made it through uh, the two full watch throughs and then multiple like restarts, is that shows you how much I love that show. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly nobody sent it to you, right? Like you did this on your own. <laughs> There's a little bit of venom in that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying I'm just saying, if you want, to, if anybody, anybody, if y'all want Trey to watch something, um, 
You have to incept it. it. To him. Don't, don't <laughs> text it to him. It has to be Inception style. Um, now, listen. Here's a, here's, here's a test. Uh, do us a favor. Go leave a rating and review in the review. You know, say that you want Trey to watch something. So that way, Trey will go read the review, and then maybe that will prompt him to watch something he's never seen before. Every good podcast needs an incentive. So that is, this is ours. If you leave a review, I'll watch whatever you tell me to watch on YouTube. <laughs> Listen, in my defense, you know how Tony Stark doesn't like being handed stuff? <laughs> this is my equivalent. I don't like being yeah, handed YouTube okay. videos. <laughs> I, and I, I don't know why I send you at least like three YouTube videos a day. Mm-hmm. And not only do I send you three, like three YouTube videos a day, I'll even say is like, don't watch this. Just listen to it. <laughs> You're negotiating. <laughs> I'm so bad. I have every intention of, of watching them. I promise. It's just, I never get back around to it. <sighs> okay. Anyway, like we said, we were, how, did we get through, how, how did we get through? I can't speak. How did we get through thirteen episodes of Daredevil? <laughs> it's a miracle, it, y'all. If you all enjoyed this podcast, y'all should be thankful. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, uh, like I said, we're going to be discussing community's influence on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think the most natural starting point would be to discuss some of the cameos from community into the mainline movies. And I, I think for me, the, the first one, as somebody who, like, honestly, community and Marvel, like my, my obsession with Marvel was is on par with community. That's how much I love that show when it was airing. And so I remember whenever I watched Captain America Winter Soldier and Danny Pudi, who plays Abed Nadir in Community, made a, a cameo in uh, Winter Soldier as one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. slash HYDRA agents. Like, I was just through the roof. Oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine what that must have been like, because that's yeah. your favorite movie. Yeah. Or well, your favorite MCU movie. Yeah. And maybe your favorite movie, too. I don't have to think yeah, about maybe. that. <laughs> okay. Question of the week, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But what about you? Do you have a community cameo that pops up as one of the, the first ones that made you, you know, get really excited? Uh, no. <laughs> you know, I asked that and I just realized you just started community, I think, after the Marvel. Yeah, so, okay. Okay. So, like, I I watch community, you know, let's, God, we're, as we're recording this, it's August in two days. So, I watched it through, my wife and I watched it through, basically, that's what we spent our april doing mm-hmm. right and we did and we watched through all all the all the seasons all the episodes and kind of powered through it you know powered through it might not be the best way to to describe it but you know just kind of a straight through but yeah so like i don't know if i caught the references at the time mm-hmm. um like i would see stuff online or some youtubers i watch and they would talk about oh there here's another community um cameo I think the one in Endgame, I was probably more aware of, because mm-hmm. I think that was the one that had the most screen time and the most to do. Are you referencing Yvette Nicole Brown? Yeah, I'm mean, referencing Yvette Nicole Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, her and then Danny Pudi's. Did I say did I say that right? Yeah, Danny Pudi. Okay, yeah. So her and Danny Pudi, the theirs had the most to do, but like if you look at 
I, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm thinking of the, the, the character names, not the actor names. You look at Chang's. Ken Jeong. Um, Ken Jeong's, yeah. But if you, if you look at his, like, he didn't have much in Infinity War. Mm-mm. Well, you he know, was in Endgame. In, were they both in Endgame? No. Uh, yeah, Event Nicole Brown. Oh, and okay, Ken, okay, yeah. He was, yeah. He, was the one that, he was the one that helped. He was the one that helped. Now, see, you know what? We did all those Daredevil episodes, and I kept saying <laughs> Endgame, but talking about Infinity War. And now when I went to go talk about Endgame, I said Infinity War. I, it's come back to bite is. you. It is. Uh, but no, but she, I think she had the most. And so I think I was most aware of that one as it happened, mm-hmm. like because of the size of the role, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't see Community till after. Mm-hmm. So it, for me, it was neat kind of finding those and recognizing those after the fact of like, oh, hey, that was this person. Or, oh, mm-hmm. hey, that was that person. You know, and, and then going back and catching all those on, on rewatches. Yeah. I think the only one we haven't touched on yet uh, would be Jim Rash, who was one of the liaisons at MIT in Civil War. Uh, Jim Rash played the dean in Community. Um, and the yeah, thing that, that was that was good, too. Yeah. And I think the thing that I, I, I found hilarious is that it's almost a double reference because the pull, the the thread we're pulling through all this community's influence into the MCU is because the Russo brothers cut their teeth, I would say, directing a lot of episodes of community. Right. And they yeah, also I think I think they did some stuff with the rest of development before they went there. Um, right. But that was but that was their the community, I think, is where they really became known. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they cut their teeth with community. They they did some stuff with the rest of development. And one of the reasons why that I liked Jim Rash's cameo is if I'm not mistaken, I wish I would have had time to go and verify this, but the the invention that he's trying to pitch to Tony Stark is straight out of the rest of development series. I forget Pop Pop, I believe was his character his affectionate name in the show, had come mm-hmm. up with this invention that backfired on him. And I think that's the same yeah. one that Jim Rash is is peddling and really in. okay. Yeah. yeah, I'd have to look that up. Now I'm an, I'm gonna be honest, um and at the risk of losing listeners, I am not a fan of Arrested Development. Really? Um yeah, like I, season one, I now again keep in mind, I saw it on DVD afterwards, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't see it as it came out. Um, in season one, I remember laughing. My wife and I were laughing and in tears. Season two started out funny, but as we went into season two, it just it, I'm watching it and I'm like, yeah, I can see why it got canceled. You know? Wow. Um, and not only that some of the jokes and references, especially towards the end of the season, like there was this episode where they're debating on the number of houses in the development. Uh-huh. Right. And that whole bit was, a was poking at Fox in terms of how many episodes in the season, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, I had no idea that's what I was making fun of watching it on DVD later. Without uh-huh. looking it up, and so there was a lot of stuff in there. There's like, I, I completely lost by not being a fan as it went, mm-hmm. if if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. And and so yeah. So so I wasn't as big of a fan of Arrested Development as mm-hmm. most people. So yeah. Now I will say this with all the with all those, I would love it if the Yvette Nicole Brown is the only one that ruins this theory, mm-hmm. because it's when they go back in time. Yeah. You know, even further back. But man, you could easily say that the 
I would love it if you could easily say that the community world is in the MCU world. But like, cause, cause you could, you, like you could make a case for like, like Abed leaving Greendale and then that's his job. Right. Working like, you at... could make, yeah. Like, like you could make a case like Dean Pelton leaves there and like somehow ends up at MIT. Right. Cause he's at another college. And his whole you know? story arc and community is that he wants to be, uh, you know, recognized as a real school. <laughs> well, I, yeah, in Chang, he's he's a security guard, like mm-hmm. like at somewhere at somewhere else. So like you could make that case that that, that is who that was. So yeah, Vet Nicole Brown's the only one that kind of that destroys that. Um, but otherwise, like I like to think of it as like no, that's that's what they did after after Greendale. <laughs> While we're on the topic of cameos. I do want to point out, um, it's something that I see get brought up a lot. A lot of people try to point at Donald Glover being in Spider-Man Homecoming as a community cameo. I personally do not count that as a cameo. What do you feel? No, 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 no. I'm glad we're on the same page. Have I said enough no's? No. Uh, (laughs) Well, well, I mean, it's, uh, he's clearly Aaron Davis. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, they even say that's Aaron Davis, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a reference to Miles Morales. Like that's I, I have. A, and, and we talked about this being an episode in itself. I have other thoughts about Donald Glover and how that was such a minor part mm-hmm. to use somebody that talented, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially if they don't come back to that in some way yep. um, and him actually be the prowler. Uh so yeah, that aside, and we'll save those thoughts for later. But yeah, I can't, I can't see that as a cameo. Yeah, well, I don't count and, it. And either. the other thing, say the other thing, all these other cameos we're bringing up are in Russo brother films. Say that right? again. All these cameos we're bringing up are in the Russo brother films. Right? Mm-hmm. It's um, Captain America: Winter Soldier, Infinity War, Endgame, uh, Civil War. They're all the ones they directed, mm-hmm. and so the Donald Glover one. Is, is in Spider-Man, but I, that's just a coincidence. Yeah. That's a very, that's a great refutation when people try to bring that up. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to pocket that for the next time it gets yeah. brought up. You should. Hashtag Jay Hubbard. <laughs> so yeah, like we said, we've been pulling through this, this thread of the Russo brothers and their community relationships influence the MCU. I, I think the next thing that we can kind of really start to delve into now that we've established that connection is some of the techniques that the Russo brothers used in community and employed in the MCU. And specifically, I think the easiest one to start with is, you know, community. The whole basis of that show was that it was a group of college kids. Not kids does not right because there's a bunch of different age groups. It was a bunch of college students, and it was there was the Greendale Seven. So a lot of those episodes were constantly juggling seven plus characters, and I think that's where we see the Russo brothers being suited to take on these large superhero casts. Well, we mentioned Arrested Development briefly, mm-hmm. and if you think about, well, Jason Bateman was the lead. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much an ensemble cast as well. Yes. Um, and so their time there, especially their time at Community, they're dealing with ensemble casts. And I think that was in an interview. And the, one of the interviews I watched and getting ready for this um, was an interview from three years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So this, this was um, a while ago. And one of the things they talked about is 
they love to work with ensemble, ensemble cast. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's something they enjoy doing, and they felt like that experience helped manage all the different characters in the films they have in the MCU. Mm-hmm. You know, well, let's just take Winter Soldier for a second. It's not like that... I mean, yes, he's the title character, but that's very much has... Well, you don't feel like any of the characters are wasted. Right. Like, it does feel like an ensemble to a certain degree with, I mean, you get Sam Wilson from the very beginning, mm-hmm. right? With the, with the race and him showing up all the way through. Um, same thing for Black Widow, you know? Um, it, it, it's not just, you, you don't get the feeling like it's Captain America and a bunch in these other tag-alongs. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have a, an important part in this movie. And, and kind of continuing that thread, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think prior to the Avengers... The first Avengers, the only other movie to tackle juggling that many main heroes would be Iron Man 2. And that's kind of the one that I think people cite as being one of the weaker MCU films, even though I know we've talked about this before. I think you have grown to like it a little bit more. Yeah. It felt oddly paced. And like you said, Winter Soldier came out and handled Steve, Natasha, Fury, established Sam, uh, the Winter Soldier, and Rumlow. And you can see that night and day difference between these directors having a background and working in ensemble cast and making this movie that felt like everybody got their equal time and felt like a cohesive story. Right. Oh yeah. So like Iron Man 2, you have Stark, you have Pepper Potts, you have Nick Fury, Natasha, Rhodey, Justin Hammer, highly underutilized Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, Whiplash, you know, you have all that's six characters that all need their screen time are all part of this story. Um, that it just, it did. It felt overcrowded to an extent, or maybe not overcrowded. It just, it, it just didn't quite mesh mm-hmm. in, in, in the way of, of juggling all these parts. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, cause for the, well, I don't want to go down this road too far, but just a, a quick mention and then I'll drop it there. But for a big, for a significant part of the movie, Natasha was basically a second pepper to Tony, mm-hmm. you know, and it was almost like you, it's like you didn't know what to do with her until later when it came right. out who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And then Captain America, you know, first Avenger, you had kind of your stereotypical, here's Steve, here's your love interest. Here's the guy who's helping you but he's kind of in your way, part of that hero's journey, you know, story circle, and Tommy Lee Jones's character. You have your Bucky, you know, the sidekick Bucky, and, and those people, but they very much take a backseat role. Then you get the Avengers and an ensemble cast, and, it, and they made it work, you know. Um, but then Iron Man 3, Thor, Thor, the Dark World, you know, it's you don't get that ensemble feel the way you do in Winter Soldier. Right. So from there, I think another point that we can pull through community into the MCU is the action-driven episodes of community. Um, In the season two finale, there was a two-parter that featured two of its most popular episodes called A Fistful of Paintballs and For a Few Paintballs More, which, if you don't know, uh, these were the season finales that centered around a campus-wide paintball game. And Joe Russo was director of those episodes. And because of the work he did with that, that's what got the brothers the job on Winter Soldier. Right. So first, I'm going to say, if you've never seen Community, you can... Community, to me, is structured in such a way that you can go 
right now, watch the paintball episodes, and you're not going to be missing anything. Like, like they, like it helps to know all those other episodes, but it's so well done that you can just watch them mm-hmm. on its own, um, just for its own pop cultural references and playing with genres. Um, now, one of the benefits of that is uh, two things. I saw an interview um, recently. That, well, I say I saw it recently. It's the one I just referenced from three years ago, where that put the Russo brothers on the radar of Kevin Feige. They talked mm-hmm. about how he is just a pop culture sponge in this interview, and they got in touch with him after those paintball episodes, and they liked the way he handled those action sequences. Um, in a separate... It wasn't a separate interview. I, here's what I wanted to say. If you have not seen Winter Soldier or Captain America Civil War, I'd say the two Avengers movies as well, but I haven't watched them either. The director's commentaries. The Russo brothers are fantastic with director's commentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk they it's they talk about their thought process. They talk about this was originally in the script. Originally this was in the script. Why shot selection, all of this stuff. Even, you know, down to the action sequences, you know, to talk about action sequences and say, we shot this action wise because we wanted this look. And they kind of explained all that. They mentioned that part of their pitch to Marvel was that car chase scene with um, Winter Soldier tra- tracking down um, Fury. It's like that was kind of one of their initial, initial pitches of like how they also got this job. So it was so not only that that action sequence of the paintball episode kind of get their attention. It was their ability to um, do action well that helped, you know, uh, get them that job. I didn't know that. That's really cool. And specifically because that car chase sequence, I think, is the moment in the movie where I sat up in my seat and like, okay, this this I'm buckling in for something different than I've seen before in the MCU. So that's really cool to know. Yeah, so one of the movies that people reference for car chase scenes is the movie Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, not 100%. Well, I mean, you can say this about a lot of movies. But when you start talking about heist movies and the realism, there's some problems with it. Uh, set that aside for a second, though, because you can say that a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. But it's fantastic chase scene. And they say specifically in that director's commentary, it's like, we pitch the car chase scene and we and our standard is like the the car chase scene in heat. We have to beat this. Hmm. We have to top this scene. But it just goes to show like when you look at the community, how well they were able to take the spaghetti western, you know, this the good, the bad, the ugly, fistful of dollars, few dollars more in that first episode, and then carry it into the second episode by title, but switch to the Star Wars genre. You know, and, and I realize Star Wars not, but you know, is a, is not a genre in itself. But in terms of like, it might as well be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but in, but in terms of like of like making that shift, you know, pop culturally to these references, handle that really well. They know their movies. They know yeah. their stuff. You can tell that they are fans of film. And 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 kind of playing in that space, they do it in a way that is meaningful. Like think about the moments in community where the stakes are, it's a paintball game in a campus, but they, it's so well done that whenever a character does get hit with paint, like it feels a lot more dramatic than it should be. Oh yeah. 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 And so we see that meaningful action and meaningful references actually not done for the sake of references, but say for the sake of, of moving the moment forward. 
I think you said it right. Not just moving the moment forward, but also the references. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go back to that director's commentary. There was a there was that scene with um, Agent Thirteen, and it was that it was basically the standoff with with her Rumlow and who are you going to be with? Are you going to be with Cap? Or are you going to be with Hydra? And there was that standoff. And one of the things they did intentionally was. I don't remember who did it and how they got out of it, but they had a noise cue. Somebody dropped a gun, somebody dropped something, and that broke the tension and what started the action. They say specifically that they did that as an homage to William Friedkin and what the, that technique he would use to break tension in the movie The Exorcist. So, like, their awareness and of film and that, that they bring mm-hmm. and... You know, it's it's like if you ask me, one of my favorite filmmakers right now is Christopher Nolan, just because he just masters the craft, right? Mm-hmm. But and and we can and I don't want to go down too far this road. This is a whole other episode topic, but the criticisms of the MCU not being cinema coming from mm. Francis Ford Coppola and, and Martin Scorsese and, and stuff, like the Russo brothers, no film and no cinema. And they weave that into their directing choices, yeah. you know, and, and know how to do those things uh, really well. We, You know, we're kind of touching on this whole pop culture blend uh, between community and the Russo's brothers handling on the MCU. You know, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead of my notes here in a little bit. And I, I, we talked about this before we recorded, but I, I wanted to work it out a little bit with you because one of the things that I was thinking about when preparing for this episode with the use of pop culture in Captain America Civil War and in Infinity War, we see the character Peter Parker use pop culture as a way to relate to some of the older characters. For example, in Civil War, when he's like, hey, did you guys see that really old movie where they, and you know, mm-hmm. that's how he takes down Giant yeah. Man and he's referencing Star Wars. And then in Infinity War, he references aliens as a way to take down the mom. And so I feel like that's something uniquely to the Russo brothers that we don't see Spider-Man do in any of his other solo films, the way that he employs that pop culture knowledge. No, no, I don't. I'm going to say off the top of my head, I don't remember pop cultural references in Homecoming or Far From Home in mm-hmm. that manner. Right. You know, that that makes it feel like, you know, Peter Parker is into that kinds of things the way they do in those films. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think I think we just told I told you before we got started uh, not that long ago, there was an interview where the came out where the Russo brothers told Tom Holland, like, you need to go watch these movies um, and kind of buff up on these older movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they were shocked to find out. I don't think Tom Holland had seen Empire Strikes Back before then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, well, in, just pull the curtain back about like as a teacher, I'm so used to the movies I've seen and grow up with, you know, and even recent things like Lord of the Rings, you know, that, man, like, I have students that, like, now I have to ask, like, how many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? Who in here has not seen the Harry Potter movies? Who in here has not seen Star Wars, you know, in any capacity? And and I bring those up because those, those in particular have such, uh, kind of like the MCU, like, have such cultural influence and knowledge and references beyond themselves now, you know, kind of like the Simpsons and in these shows that grow beyond themselves 
in, in terms of prop, pop culture, right, that, man, I teach high school and I have to ask, like, have you seen those? So in, in a weird way, you know, you think Tom Holland's age, that, yeah, it makes sense. He hadn't seen those things. Mm-hmm. One day we're going to have to be asking that about the Marvel movies. <laughs> right. Like, well, <laughs> I mean, my girls, I show them the Marvel movies. They enjoy it. If Captain Marvel's on, they're going to stop. <laughs> Again, this bulk recording, me forgetting about Captain Marvel an hour ago and now mentioning it. And my girls love Captain Marvel. If I have Captain Marvel on, one of the three will stop down and watch the rest of it with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and oh, by the way, just last night, uh, my youngest was like, I'd like to see one of the live action Batmans. Oh, and I'm like, all right, we're in. There's like eight of them. <laughs> what did okay. you choose? I haven't shown, I haven't, I haven't picked one yet. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Batman Begins. Nice. Um, is, is the one that, if you're going to watch a first live action, uh, part of me wants to go the campy Adam West, but I think I'm going to go Batman Begins. That's a um, great place to start. But, but I mean, you know, to give you that idea of like, yeah, it, it's insane to me that, that, that you have that. Cause that came out, what, 2005, first Iron Man's 2008. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them have seen some of this I might say for when we do our review of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But none of my daughters have seen Iron Man yet um, because I haven't felt comfortable showing it to them yet for some of the content. Wise. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the day that I can show my niece and nephew the MCU. And that it feels weird that that first barrier, Iron Man, there's some stuff in there that like they need to be a little bit older before I feel comfortable showing it to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is so funny because it, it feels like it mellows out a little bit as it gets later in the series. But like you said, that's a that's a different conversation. Oh, yeah. So one of the last techniques that we kind of want to pull through from the Russo brothers' time with Community and other television series is this idea of serialized storytelling. Uh, specifically, I have a quote from one of the articles that you showed me, which we will link in the description so you can read along some of these articles as well. But this is a direct quote from a piece called The Russo Brothers on how directing episodes of Community made them the perfect fit for Avengers Endgame by Rory Cashin. Quote, we spent about a decade in television just doing a lot of television work, and I think that background helped to prepare us for the serialized stories that we have going in the MCU, Anthony Russo tells us. End quote. And for me, you know, I've often heard that the MCU referred to as like an expensive season of television rather than movies, which that that kind of feels somewhat of a pejorative. But I think the MCU is kind of in this new space with the way that they're doing a connected universe, that there is some truth to that feeling of being a serialized television show, the way that you have to watch some of these before the other one to understand the next one. And so it's similar to the way we discussed with Daredevil having to close its individual stories while carrying over a larger arching stories. So, you know, it makes sense that for the Russo brothers who got their start in television were perfect to come on and direct some of the biggest MCU movies. Yes. Yes. Well, you know what? I think Captain America Civil War was the first one they were... I say, when I say they, it could be the Russo brothers, but it could also be just Kevin Feige at MCU. But I think that was the first one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but that's the first one they they kind of decided you must see from here on out all these other films. Like mm. like we can't afford to make it serialized and make it feel standalone from all these other events any longer. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like, like so, so in the timeline of release date, you get Ant-Man before Captain America Civil War. Falcon's in that, right? And that's right after Age of Ultron. So he's in his newer Falcon getup, right? That you see at the end of Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. You know, get up, suit, whatever. Um, and then you get the, you know, the end tag or the end of Ant-Man where he's like, you know, an Avenger's looking for you. And you have that whole bit and that's where you get the Stanley cameo. And you see Ant-Man will return. And then you have the end tag or the end credit scene that's um, straight out of Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, so like right there is where you're really getting to that push of like it's truly serialized. Mm-hmm. You have to see everything, you know, to put all these pieces together. And I think in one of the interviews in preparing for this uh, podcast, you know, they mentioned that of like in doing Captain America Civil War, it was kind of a realization of the two of them Evan and Kevin Feige of like they were the logical choice for the next two Avengers movies because of that serialized nature. Like yeah. they were planting so many seeds intentionally of building to those two movies that it only made sense that they saw it through, you know? And, and a lot of times that's what you get on television shows. I mean, you might have the show runner, but you're working with a team of writers. They're going to sit in together and say, this is the overarching thing we want for that season, you know? And, and so they have that overarching, you know, circle, and all these little episodes. So even if not the same writer for all of them, you know, they're very comfortable in working that environment through those experiences. And it really shows. You know, I'm gra- glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next point that, you know, we've, we've seen directors come and go. Uh, I think some of the articles that we talked about specifically mentioned how for a lot of the movies in the MCU, it's a lot of one-time directors and they're done. And the Russo brothers have gone on to do four movies in the MCU. So clearly they are in love with the process. And some of the more disgruntled directors uh, are often cited as not liking the the constraints of working in that environment where they want to tell their story, but it also has to play into this larger story. Right. Again, you know, I'm quarterback uh, showrunner slash director here, but from the outside looking in, I feel like there are a lot more of it's a lot more of a collaborative experience working on a TV show where you have different directors for episodes. You have, you know, like you said, different writers and stuff like that, rather than in a movie where it's just the one director, uh, the, the writers that were for it. And the Rooster brothers are more with their TV experience, more suited to work in that, that environment for the MCU, which is why I think they, they are so comfortable making some of the biggest movies in there. Oh yeah. Like, like, well, well, yeah. I mean, take Avengers: Infinity War, where they brought in or uh, James Gunn, Taika Waititi, to help dialogue for Thor and Guardians. You know, um, and I mean, clearly, you know, Eminem, the Marcus and McFeely, and the Russo brothers were capable. Um, but to keep that continuity, you know, bringing in those other writers to kind of touch up those scenes and those dialogues for what the stories they've been building, that's something I'm, I'm making, I feel comfortable making this assumption that working in a TV show environment with multiple writers and an overarching vision with direct, with the producers and stuff, they're just used to. Mm -hmm. 
This isn't exactly on par with what we're talking about, but I, I kind of want to sneak it in here on this topic of bringing in other collaborators to kind of pitch in. Again, we're kind of juggling back and forth between the Russo's experience and the community ties to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I would be remiss not to at least mention this. You know, speaking of community, the showrunner Dan Harmon was brought in to consult on Doctor Strange. This is a quote from an article that which we'll link in the description from Flash Film. This is from Scott Derrickson, the director of, of Doctor Strange. He came in, saw a cut of the movie, and had a really striking analysis. Because he hadn't read any of the scripts and didn't know the Doctor Strange mythology, and I'm not sure how much of a comic book fan he was, but he saw the movie, loved it, and had some breakdown things that were very helpful. Helpful. That alone was probably his biggest contribution. So... I think the the reason they cite that Dan Harmon was kind of brought into this was some of his work on Community and his work on Rick and Morty to kind of influence the way they were handling multidimensional stuff in Doctor Strange. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of a little neat tie in there as well of how some of that community influence was brought into the MCU. Oh, yeah. And that makes sense. You They have the, what, remedial? I'm referencing remedial chaos theory. Was that Dan Harmon or was that the season he wasn't on? That was Dan Harmon. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I I loved that episode. Mm-hmm. You know, the the remedial chaos theory episode was fantastic, um, and it, and it just makes sense when you're dealing with those types of things. Like he's familiar with it. Um, so yeah. Which to kind of set the context, remedial chaos theory for community. Which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. The conceit of that episode is they are all gathered together for an evening out in their apartment, and they're trying to decide who is going to go down to get the pizza. And so they roll a dice to kind of see who has to go get it. And the structure of the episode is that they view, quote unquote, multiple dimensions of which side that dice landed on to correspond with who had to go to the pizza and explore the way that would have played out. I mean, that's perfect for the multidimensional stuff that they started tackling with the MCU. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic episode. So I guess my final thought, like, I'm really thankful that Feige... I don't want to say discovered, but but brought the Russo brothers into the MCU, and we got four fantastic movies uh, from them. I would say out of them. It sounds so bad, like we're squeezing creative juices out of them or something like that. Uh, and so I, I back off of that. But the fact that we got four fantastic movies um, is just remarkable, and I'd love to see them back. I know they've hinted coming back for a big movie like Secret Wars, so maybe one day we'll we'll get to see their brilliance again. I hope so too. I mean, they are responsible for my top, my tied first place favorite MCU movie. So I I would love any chance for the Russo brothers to come back into the MCU. Yeah. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, but of course, we are going to jump into our question of the week. Uh, so Jude. If you could give any MCU character their own video game, who would you give it to? And bonus points if you can describe what that game would be like. Ant-Man. Oh my God, we have the same answer. <laughs> Ant-Man. I just, I'm thinking about the game mechanic and, and just like the shrinking, you know, and what that would look like and, and the coming back up, you know, uh, having to use pin particles is mm-hmm. just a great way of like, Things you have to either earn or achieve, like you can run out of mm-hmm. and go get, you know. Um, it's like a built-in stamina meter. Right, you know. And remember, if it doesn't have a stamina meter, especially on the bad guys, it's a crap game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> take that stand here. <laughs> 
don't play Monster Hunter but, World. Yeah, I, I'm totally on the same page with you. That was, to me, that was the clear answer. But I'm going to go a step further, and I'd be curious to see if you follow me out here. I would personally love to see an Ant-Man game that was a 2D side-scroller and very much in that Metroidvania-style game. I'm not sure if you're all... Are you familiar with the Metroidvania games? Yeah, I'm familiar with that style of game, but my head went to the PS4 Mm Spider-Man and just imagining what that world would look like when you shrunk down and got to see everything in that kind of open-world-ish look. Um, And so, like, that's where I mentally went to first. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I could easily see that style with Mm Ant-Man, you know, working... Uh, working well too i just thought like man imagine the size of the buildings you know your regular size spider-man looking up at the skyscraper and all of a sudden you know you're ant-man and shrink down and then you look up you mm-hmm. know and just the, the possibilities of that is what i got excited about mm-hmm. i i definitely think if you go with the metroidvania you definitely are sacrificing that scale uh, which, which, like I said, I think you could see either way because you proposing that idea just realized made me realize how much I would love to play around as Giant Man in a city. Oh yeah, but I think if I'm thinking back to the Metroidvania, there's just something about being able to traverse between being little or being uh, regular size or being big that plays well into that kind of traversal learning. You know, learning new moves that lets you unlock different areas to explore. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's where my head went, but I don't know. I'm kind of leaning your side now with uh, yeah. being able to see, play as Giant I, Man. You know, I could almost see that working really well for a Thor. The side scroller? Yeah, the Metro, the Metroidvania. Huh. When you start talking about the new moves, like you have different ways to summon and use lightning. With you know. You know what? I didn't. Now that you mentioned that, I just thought of this. Are you familiar with roguelites? No. So essentially the the basis of those games are you play through a run and you build up your character. And if you die, you start over from the beginning. But some of the progress you made as far as like leveling up and moves that you have carries over into the next run. I think that would be an amazing Doctor Strange game, especially with the way that he can kind of peek into the future. And so each Uh, run is just a different possibility of of what he's looking towards. Yeah. So a Doctor Strange roguelite game would be amazing. That does sound fun. Oh, man. Okay, so we've already proven we're editors, we're writers. Why can't Marvel call us to make games for them? I know, I know. (laughs) We are idea people. (laughs) (laughs) And we just are waiting to be discovered (laughs) so our ideas can be given to others. Oh, man. Well, speaking of Discovered, if you would like to chime in with your thoughts on Community's influence on the MCU, uh, the Russo brothers' background on television, or if you'd like to answer a question of the week, which MCU character deserves their own video game, feel free to reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter or Instagram. Or if you'd like to write an email, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know at gmail.com. And you can help others discover us by leaving a rating and a review and sharing with a friend. Yeah, we'd also like to give a special shout out to Nick Sandy for the use of the theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. If you'd like to hear more of his original work, you can check out his SoundCloud, which is linked in the description. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. And we will all see you next week. All right, are we good? I think so. Hold on, let me yawn.
<laughs> well, I think we got an in tag already. <laughs> That's actually in our notes right now. We have a little bit of time set aside for yawning <laughs> and phone dropping. <laughs> okay. Okay. That first drop was an accident. The second one was real. <laughs> I pretended to drop my light, and then my iPad dropped. <laughs> this went off the rails so, quick. So we're not ready. We're not ready. It's a good thing we scheduled this. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs>